Hello once again, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale. Uh, it seems to be a slower week this week, but let's go through who's joining me today. I have with me Adam Vitale. Hello. Josh Torres. My life has been the biggest roller coaster this week. I want I want off the ride so bad. <sighs> the game of life. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And we have Paige Detlefson joining us once again. It's Chamberlain now. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> right my three weeks ago. <laughs> Congratulations, Paige. <laughs> yep. uh, it's it's yeah, been that I'll long. Since we... I'll just keep that yeah. in there. All right. Paige yeah. Chamberlain. <laughs> to all our listeners, yeah, please congratulate Paige. You know, recent marriage. Very, very, you know, awesome. Very happy for you. Thanks. And I was hoping I was going to go to the the byline and see that it wasn't updated as my excuse, but no, it was. So <laughs> I have no excuse. <laughs> so, all right, Paige Chamberlain, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. So, all right, uh, we were looking at the games that we were interested in talking about this week, and it seems like a lot of us have had either life going on or we haven't had a chance to play anything, but we did have one major super highly anticipated RPG release this week that we will uh, slate some time for, and that is Square Enix's Dungeon Encounters. So, yeah. I know if... Yeah. Which only got announced like a couple of weeks before it came out. <laughs> right, this was a uh, Tokyo Game Show, the Hiro- uh, the new game from Hiroyuki Ito, and, you know, but, you know, the the my journey to get to, like, finally play this game this week has been... Uh, it was a journey, all right, <laughs> a, a really long one. Um, so I, I'm on a brand new setup. Uh, obviously, we don't do this podcast on video, so no one can really tell. But uh, last Sunday, James here uh, came over to my place and helped me build a new PC. Um, it was it was really cool, you know, seeing James again. We haven't seen each other in how long? God, I uh, think the last time must have been AX 2019, so just a little over two years ago. Yeah, it's been too long, and hopefully we'll get together soon at a, at a convention and whatnot. But I yeah. Think, I think it was before you, the last person from the site that I had seen was either Alex at that Jedi Fallen Order press event that was in like October 2019, or it was Brian for the... Uh, rounded like reveal thing like what do you remember when that was that was 20 late 2019 it was like october or something like that at the time we didn't know it was grounded we just knew it was a new obsidian title so we're like we're hoping for something meaty and grounded's fine but just wasn't quite our wheelhouse (laughs) yeah yeah. so jane Jane, uh, go for it uh, brian I was just going to say that I know that when Dungeon Encounters was first uh, revealed, it was kind of like, oh, Ito's back. He's he's free. And we've had a few people. I know you were one of them. Adam was one of them. And uh, Alex Donaldson, I think, ended up writing about it about for uh, VG247. Basically, despite this game looking like uh, very limited budget, very limited scope, it seemed like it was just people were, at least in this sphere, excited to try basically one of these more smaller, more experimental projects from Square Enix. So I'm, I think you're the only one so far that's had a chance to really get in on it as of now. Yeah. But I know more yeah. people are interested in jumping in uh, before the end of the year. Yeah, I, I was only able to eke out like five hours on it. Uh, it barely came out like on Thursday, I want to say. So 
But the the lead up to Thursday was, well, you know, well, we'll get there. So J- James came over, and we, uh, we worked on building this new PC and whatnot. Uh, we we had a lot of fun. He was here for oh my god, James! He came around noon, and you were here for like nine hours, maybe. Yeah, something like that. I think I got there around like twelve forty-five, and I left around uh, ten forty-five. Oh my god, you're a fucking champion, dude. So basically, it didn't t- we, obviously, we didn't take that entire time building the, the PC. The PC maybe took three or four hours, I want to say. Yeah. And yeah, that, that was pretty smooth. Like, uh, you basically built it all out of the case first to, to uh, test if it would go into post uh, and whatnot. And all the parts seemed like it was working. It, it, was, a pretty, it was pretty fun. Uh, there were definitely some weird challenges when we were like, you know, fitting everything into the case like in terms of like screwing into yeah. in the uh like the motherboard into um, the case and whatnot i just want to say uh so this is my first time installing like an octua cooler so <laughs> um the first small snag we had is that i accidentally installed the uh, bracket for the octua cooler like inverted like the the holes lined up but it was supposed to like ellipses inward instead of outward yeah, so it looks like the, these brackets look like horseshoes almost, uh, surrounding the CPU uh, socket. So the and you have to like uh, line them up a certain way so like the cooler itself will like fit in correctly. And that that was one of those things. Like I've never seen one of these. People just recommended it to me, and then James was like, "Don't worry, I got it. It's it's it all worked out fine. You did." Uh, a really fantastic job. Thankfully, it was just one of those things. It's like, oh, okay, it's a really easy fix. Uh, yeah. When we found out it like it didn't fit in correctly at first. Yeah, the the one thing that honestly was the hardest part, as far as I'm concerned, was getting the auxiliary CPU power into the motherboard once the actual like uh, motherboard was mounted in the case. Specifically, because of the air cooler being like, I had like what. Maybe an inch and a half of clearance of that. My God, dude! I don't know how you did it. Still, <laughs> I was looking at. It, I'm like, oh my God, you mm, man! No yeah. way I could have done this. <laughs> yeah, no that way. was. I'm pretty confident in saying that was the hardest maneuver I've ever had to do with a PC building. Ever. Yeah, and uh, other other than that, it was it it was pretty smooth for the most part. I'd say there's not really anything in the PC building process aside from those like two things uh, i remember that the you also had to uh since i got this uh lian mesh cooler with it that had uh, uh by default uh three fans on the front and then you moved decided to move one of the fans to the back for uh cooling in the rear but then you, you realize later that like oh it's spinning the wrong way it's like intaking air instead of like uh expelling air so uh other than that, like I think everything went fine, if I remember you know, correctly. Yeah, you know the funny thing is, I actually uh, double checked the uh, Gamers Nexus uh, review for that case later, and it's like, oh, the cooling performance isn't meaningfully different if you leave it all in the front or you move one to the back. And it's like, oh, I did oh. all that for nothing. <laughs> I, I'm that's that's surprising to me because I would think that would like it would be better if like you had at least one fan in the back. But that's that's interesting. Um, I I think the the biggest surprise for me um, and the biggest scare for us uh, this is by the first time I've ever seen M.2 uh, solid state drives in person, and like I didn't realize how tiny the screws were for those things. 
And I was like, and, and we and we lost one of those screws momentarily. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> These things are microscopic in person. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, luckily, we were able to find it. Uh, but man, it took like maybe a good like two to three minutes of like fidgeting around. Like, all right, where did this thing go? Um, so that was a scare still. But overall, yeah, I mean, I'm really happy with the way it came out. There's there's an acceptable amount of RGB on it. It's not too crazy. Um, and yeah, James was a champ just like uh, staying with, the, with me, even like getting like my new like, like, like home office set up like in place, not just the PC and whatnot. And that was like the other bulk of time after we had dinner, we went to like phase two of this whole thing and like getting like my monitors mounted, the monitor arms set up. Because um, those like, are all new too, right? Yeah, I got a new keyboard, uh, new headphones, um, and like, yeah, and, and I was just, I was just kind of moving things around to like uh, where th- it would make sense for me to um, get things in place and get them uh, comfortably and effectively, and like while making sure like the cables aren't a nightmare, and like you know the cables, it's a lot of cables, and James knows firsthand how my cable situation is at the moment but you know it's a, it's okay it's all right it all works it's not as much of a nightmare as it once was but it's still you know it's still a lot of cables um he especially i think a lot of the uh cable nightmares that i have is since i have an ethernet switch um i have like long cat8 cables uh to hook up my consoles into that ethernet switch so that's like you know, feeding into like an already, you know, crazy situation. I also got a second um, UPS as well um, because there there are power outages sometimes here. So you know, I'm overall just very very thankful that uh, James took uh, basically all of his Sunday uh, to come over here and help me out with all of this. Like very eternally thankful and grateful. Um, and once you were well, all set up. The first game you played was uh James was like uh, I I joked with James I think last week and I was like well you know I bet you the first thing he's going to run in here is going to when I'm not looking he's going to just have FF14 magically running on it all of a sudden <laughs> and sure enough he did like uh as we were eating dinner we had some hungry howie's pizza for dinner and he's like he pulls out this USB stick and I'm like what's that He's like, you know, I was thinking about our conversation uh, last week. I'm like, oh, no. All right, James. So what, what was on that USB stick? So, well, earlier in that, we were trying we were trying to figure out, OK, does one of us have a USB to install Windows onto to like um, obviously get that set up? And um, the night before, so after Josh had already gotten his USB, I checked my mail and the USB drive from the Endwalker press kit had arrived because that was like a separate thing because they got them a little bit late. And I was like, okay, it'd be really funny if I actually put the Endwalker benchmark on here. So I did. And, and, and sure was, enough. Was, was it extremely high? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the very first thing after everything was like, like, the windows are set up and whatnot. We got to like the desktop screen. It's like, all right, 
time to run and walker <laughs> benchmark i'm like okay and that's the that was my first exposure to like 144 fps and whatnot and making it all look good at the, at the 1440p resolution i'm like oh my god this looks fucking insane i was like just in awe um yeah that was crazy um but you know life being life uh you know the once james and i were exhausted and i'm all right i'm gonna start tinkering with this pc throughout the week the very next day very next er uh, morning i was like all right uh, we have a work week ahead but uh, you know i'll still be able to like do some stuff with this computer um uh tragedy struck me uh i was out for maybe i would say like uh, almost four days but definitely like three and a half days um i uh i woke up in a a lot of pain uh the next morning to the point where i had to go to the er and whatnot and um it, it turns out uh I know what it feels like to have a kidney stone now. Uh, Oof, so I was, no. yep, I, I was dealing with that for uh, the majority of this week. Um, thankfully, I have made it out the, on the other side of uh, being alive. And, um, you know, not, not, not everything has been like, you know, I'm not completely past it yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, the pain has now subsided for the most part, which is the important part. Uh, it was, let me just say that uh, kidney stone pain is some of the worst pain you'll ever have in your life. Um, it is it is one of those things where it's so painful that it will keep you up at night because of the pain. Like within forty eight hours, I had forty eight hours of like almost no sleep. I had like maybe two and a half hours of sleep in forty eight hours because I couldn't sleep at all because of the pain. Um, and it was just like a, it was one of those things that like you couldn't do anything because like it was just so peaceful. excuse me i'm gonna go uh get a gallon of water i'll be right back yeah pretty much <laughs> like, yeah uh, you know, make sure to even though i'm like an avid water drinker too like i, I don't know what happened so anyway yeah uh that aside uh by just friday yeah friday was like the first day like i was able to like operate normally so that was the first day i got to really um sit down and play dungeon encounters so <laughs> well after basically Hooray. a full week yeah i finally i was like oh i can like focus on something again without like dealing with pain holy crap yeah um dungeon encounters um this is this is an interesting game i i think i'm starting to get addicted to it now that i've like learned like the way uh its systems uh work with each other just as the uh, Tokyo Game Show trailer showed, it is a very uh, simplistic game on the presentation side. It is what a, it is literally. Um, uh, if you if people was, have watched the trailer, you you'll know what it looks like. Uh, but for the people who don't know, imagine like grid paper, except or graph paper, and then like in each of that grid, like that's basically like the game's interface is like just a a series of like these grids. You're you're traveling down them in very linear pathways, like dungeon floors, like and then imagine that graph paper having like a like a textured like background, like a rocky like dungeon background or something, and like that's basically the what it looks like. And your 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 game character, um, you choose you choose it like a like you know like a dungeon RPG. Like you boot up the game and you have this roster where you can uh choose a party of four, and then at the very beginning your your options is very uh, your your roster is very limited because you can only recruit like level one people and like you know these level one people like have 
uh, a basic backstory to them and uh, like just their initial equipment. Like, well, one can be like have a broadsword and have some armor on them, like like a recruiter cap and recruiter armor. And uh, well, another one might have have like a magic spell on them and like a like a like a hatchet and. But there's not like defined classes where like I'm the mage class, I'm the warrior class. Like it's just uh, adventurers that the that you can outfit in any way. And like if you want someone to be like your mage, you can like just buy them spells and whatnot. They're not confined to like I'm the wizard. I can only use spells and whatnot. So, um, as as you speed up the game, you're in this quote unquote town hub. But it's very much still like the, retaining that graph paper uh, aesthetic to it, and all you really see is those grids that you traverse down and like numbers on tiles that that are in white, and say like the number three tile, uh, it'll say zero three in white, and then you'll know, oh, okay, this is where I go to. There's a healing fountain. This is where I go to heal my people, or the number four. Tile. This is the resurrection shrine. If anyone is down in my party, and then there will be other uh, numbers like uh, seven and eight, and then these are like different shops where I can. But you um, don't know buy. what it is until you land on it, or what? Yeah, you you just like uh, walk to it, and then you you um, you go over it, and then you'll say it'll say resurrection shrine and whatnot. But uh. but the numbers are always consistent. So say like number three is like the healing fountain, like. If you see that number, that white number three on a dungeon floor, that'll always be the healing fountain. Oh, it's not that, yeah. The hmm. numbers aren't randomized, so like it. So at a glance, if you know what the numbers are already, you'll know what it is. So if you see it up in the distance in like in a du- dungeon floor, um, so the the same holds true for like these shops, like different shops that are different merchants that sell spells, um, equipment, uh, weapons, armor accessories um etc it's just that i'm so, still i'm still stuck on the fact that they're so i haven't played this game yet mm-hmm. but it, to me having them enumerated by numbers from a from a distance seems like that would make sense if it was randomized you're like oh there's a point of interest here i want to see what it is if the, if it's like a number three is always a healing shop or whatever or number seven is always a magic shop or whatever it is like why not just like designate it with an icon or something instead rather than just an, an arbitrary number it just seems kind of weird to me I, I yeah it's it's an interesting design design decision but i think they're really going for like a tight design aesthetic uh because they really want to focus on in on like their efforts on something else like maybe just solely on like tightening it up like you know how uh how battles feel or like something about the battles or something about you know uh, yeah it's like, tr- I, it's like truly distilled down to like we're we're not gonna gussy this up with with more artwork than is necessary, more design than is necessary. Yeah. If we're if we're gonna have however many different sorts of key locations on a map, we're just gonna number them. Like that's yeah, that's well, kind of it's like necessary and sufficient. Or that's like we're gonna call that good and focus on. Yeah, something it's else. Funny, yeah, like like imagine I imagine one of the, it's one of those things when they were like you know obviously this looks like a game that's like had a very tight budget, but they use that budget very like efficiently yeah exactly very efficiently so it's one of those things like well we could like commission like an art asset for like a healing fountain but if we do that then we can only have this certain we have to cut like this many amount of enemies in the game or whatnot because you know the time and resources 
So it's like a, a lot of trade-offs. Um, I'm imagining like one artist saying like, I don't want to make a healing shrine icon, so I'm just going to put in the number four and call it good. <laughs> yeah. I have to draw I have to draw this wizard guy or, or this other character. Like maybe it's more like a, a reference number, an index number, so I give you that. Oh, you know, number three equals this or something, like just on the list rather than like wouldn't have a list, but just to seem like that. Oh, yeah, it uh, almost fits like the graph paper aesthetic where it's just like yeah. all enumerated and all like like an appendix of some sort. Yeah, like uh, I'll tell you about this in the, just a little bit, but like I already had to like I already last night I already wish I had graph paper for a certain part in, in a dungeon. <laughs> I actually like drew like squares on like paper with a marker and like wrote down numbers. It's, so, um, so as you're, uh, you, you can get out of this town by like going to like the south, like eastern part of it, and then like yeah, it'll say like a number one, and then a white um, number one on, on a tile means you're always descending down. Uh, be, meaning progression. Uh, a white number two would mean you're you're going up a floor, trying to get out of like the dungeon. So, so you're you're always trying to look for the white number one in a dungeon floor to progress if you want to progress. Um, so you you enter the dungeon, and the, one of the very first abilities you get, um, you get you gain abilities by the the by basically they show up as white numbers as well in a dungeon. So the Say I enter the dungeon and then I, I traverse down a few tiles and then I'll have like a, a, a number I don't know seventy four uh, on the ground and then I go over to that and I'll say ability um, uh, I forgot what it was called but it's like it's the ability to see uh, enemy encounters in a dungeon floor and these are depicted by uh, black numbers on the floor so anytime there's like a black number. Uh, on a dungeon floor, if you step on that, you'll get into an, a random encounter, or not a random an encounter with an enemy. And so you gain that ability, but in order to use that ability first, you have to visit an ability like shrine or fountain to like equip that ability because you have ability points, and you're only uh, you, you have a set amount at first, and you can increase that cap. And I'll, I'll tell you about that later. But it, it, it costs a certain amount of AP to equip that ability on you so for this one it's like three ap so you get that you equip that on the uh, nearby ability thing and then you're like okay uh, i can go into battles now so well you can now see battles now and then so you go over to your uh, battles and battles are pretty like they look simplistic at first but they can they can get pretty complex uh from where i'm at right now like i'm like quote unquote like in second biome uh, of the game, I don't know how many there is. I don't know how long this game is. I I imagine it's gonna be a while. I don't know. Um, but how battles are laid out, if people know how, watch the trailer, they'll know how they look. But it's all there's no fancy like 3D plane or whatnot. There's all strictly uh, on a 2D plane. On the left, it's the enemies. On the right is your party. Um, they're they they're basically portraits like staring down each other. And when they attack, like their like their portrait frames or like boxes, like move and like like say you're attacking with a sword, they'll like their box will move towards the enemy, like just a little bit, and then it'll have like a slash effect on that enemy, and then and then it'll show how much damage you did and whatnot. So every 
enemy and uh, and uh, character in the game, whether you're uh, your party, the enemy, everyone has three important stats to keep track of: uh, PD, MD, and HP. Uh, the PD is physical defense, MD is magical defense, uh, HP is obviously your life points, your hit points, and whatnot. Um, in order to defeat enemies, you first have to deplete either uh, their physical defense or magical defense uh, completely down to zero. Uh, so all of the damage that you do will either affect uh, physical or it either affect PD or MD. It'll deplete one of those. So let's say I encounter this ghost and has uh, three PD, three MD, and three HP. So I have this broadsword and it does 40 uh, PD. So when I attack that ghost with the broadsword, it'll uh, deplete that PD down to zero, but it won't affect uh, HP. The PD or MD have to be completely at zero for you to even start dealing HP damage. So it's like so armor, kind of. Yes, yes. So you, you deplete the PD down to zero with the broadsword, and then you have your next character use another like physical attack, like say they have an, uh, a hatchet, and then they attack with the hatchet, and now since that does uh, physical damage, it then, now that'll attack HP since their PD is now down, down at zero. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the game that I, it's a completely different sort of game, but the game that I think of uh, that worked like that was Divinity Original Sin 2. I think the first one too, but I think it was more prevalent in the second one, where enemies would have like this magic barrier or armor. I forget if there was a magical physical split, but basically you had to have like, you had to pierce their armor before you could deal their damage, and but deal damage to their health pool. And that's pretty like, I think that's yeah. common enough that's that common. there's a there's a there's a bunch of other games you could probably like especially reference. in action games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, that's you know a very simplistic um, encounter, like one of the very first encounters you'll have. Um, but but keep in mind, I guess there's a good time to uh, the explain like how uh, like how RNG works in this game, especially in battles, um, where they're all the, both for magic and for physical type uh, weapons. There is like a, a variant where it does consistent damage, and a variant where it does like RNG damage. So th think about the broadsword and the hatchet that I gave. Uh, you, you as in the example, the broadsword will always deal forty points of damage when you uh, attack something with it. Um, but the hatchet, it has the potential to deal up to seventy points of damage. But when you attack, it does a roll could be from one to seventy. So yeah, that that's kind of the gamble that you make with this. Is like this is this weapon, this hatchet is technically more powerful, but if like if you attack and it has a low roll, like we could do like three damage sometimes. It's like, you know. Well, that's actually pretty interesting because um, I know that when, usually in the context of talking about strategy RPGs, there's like two camps. There's games like Fire Emblem, where you can calculate exactly how much damage you're going to do based on your attack stat, the weapon stat, and the armor stat, and you basically just do math and you say this will always do twelve damage to this character. Or you play like Final Fantasy Tactics, where every single weapon has kind of like a range of damage that it can deal. And this is also true for like most pen and paper RPGs where it'll do between 12 and 25 damage or whatever, and you roll. Um, 
so it's interesting where in this game they're just like we have both we'll have some that do yeah. it one way and some that do it the other yeah and then that, that that's the same thing for magic spells as well where some do more con- like they have a lower base damage but it's consistent you always do that damage and then some have like a higher potential to do a lot of damage but there's you know you can also roll pretty pretty badly on them too um and that that expands out to like variants where um th- there'll be weapons that can hit all enemies and then uh and magic spells that can hit all enemies and then there are variants of like ones that hit all enemies that do consistent damage or ones that hit all enemies and do like rng damage so that's kind of where the different categories of uh your offense come into play um this is also uh true of like different encounters that uh, or different enemies that you might encounter so There'll be uh, griffins that you'll encounter early on that obviously uh, are flying enemies, so you can't hit them with like normal melee weapons like a sword or a spear or whatnot because they're flying. So the only way you can uh, uh, inflict damage on them is either through magic spells or ranged uh, weapons like crossbows and whatnot. Uh, and you have to plan around that. Or like my strategy right now is I have a lot of AOE magic spells on me. Or I just like I just stack magic damage, but I have to be all uh, careful because sometimes enemies uh, enemies might uh, come with wizards, and wizards when they get uh, attacked with magic, they reflect it back at you, and that'll do a lot of damage to me if I'm not careful, and like not uh, identifying that there's a wizard among them first before I attack and whatnot. So that's kind of where the the mechanically rich. Uh, depth of the uh, of the battles are because obviously you can uh start thinking about like different uh modifiers to enemies the you know uh, to kind of circumvent or push or encourage different strategies with your setup you know so some people some enemies might be immune to physical some might just be out of reach some might be reflecting magic some might have be very very like some enemies might have like very low hp like like what HP, but they have like a lot of like a certain type of like PD or MD that you have to like go through because they might have like a lot of like magical uh, defense that you have to wade through because they they might not take a lot of damage on like the, uh, on PD and whatnot. And I assume like there's, there's some, some enemies that have s- much more of one type of armor than the other. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So like like mechanical enemies, for example, like they like they have a lot more physical defense than magical defense for 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 instance um so that that's kind of the basic lowdown of battles um obviously this all done through atb um so everyone has like a speed stat on them as well so the as you're equipping uh new armor you know some armor may weigh you down and like take down that speed stat just a tiny bit but you know uh new armor will obviously uh help you boost these stats these pd and md stats nothing will really boost your hp stats besides level ups uh for characters um it is important to note for battles that your hp does not carry or your hp does not replenish from battle to battle but your uh, pd and md do so uh that's the important thing that that makes sense yeah so um as as characters level up, your characters don't necessarily do dam uh, more damage as they level up. Uh, they increase their HP cap and they re- increase their 
uh, proficiency points uh, cap and uh, proficiency points or PP um, let you uh, wear more uh, stuff without getting overburdened. So say like I have a, a 40 PP, um, I can only equip a certain amount of like armor and weapons on me before I get overburdened and then I have to like make a, make a trade-off and wait for them to like get up to a higher level where I can like get like a high uh, heavier equipment on them through better defense and whatnot. But all, all your defense and all your offense will come through solely your equipment. It's not like a, a character growth like thing. Um, so the, the armor so is actually armor. <laughs> yes, the armor is actually armor. So if you uh, uh, if you unequipped everything, you would have no stats. Uh, yeah, you would you, you would just eat shit. <laughs> so even, <laughs> even even if you're like if I if I, I'm a level ninety person uh, and I unequip everything and I go through like the early dungeon, that that person's probably gonna die pretty fast, essentially. So, so that's another interesting thing because like, that's not something I think about a lot, but. In certain games where your character has some inherent stats, and then of course your equipment augments them, or there's other games uh, like Fire Emblem is one of those again. Uh, and then there's other games where it's more all on the character, and then the equipment is more just playstyle. So that would be a lot of sorry souls likes, uh, where the stats are on your character as you level up and you spend souls or whatever the currency is in the game, and then you have the equipment, which obviously has rating based on your character stats where it's like it, it scales with your strength or dexterity or whatever they call it uh, but then there's this game where it's tilted the other way where your your character doesn't have many inherent stats and it's all based on how you gear them out so it's interesting to see different games play with that in terms of the design of their encounters the how much how much equipment you have to shuffle between the fact that you have the proficiency points that determine like how your the boundaries that you have to work within in terms of what you're allowed to equip. Uh, oh, I, 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 that reminds me that um, you also mentioned that there was like a cap based on what abilities you could equip. Was that like a different meter? Like you have proficiency points for gear and something else for abilities, or was it yeah? The same so uh, yeah, uh, uh, proficiency points and ability points are two different things. Ability gotcha. points don't yeah don't affect your characters at all. That's a that's a whole separate like like player like that. That's more for the player uh, themselves, not not necessarily any of your characters and whatnot. So. Like as you're charting out uh, dungeons and whatnot, uh, every every space you fill is kind of like filled up. So uh, everything is transparent as first, but then as you walk over them, it'll get filled up. And then um, as you fill out your map, you're awarded uh, ability points, and uh, you're you're expanding your ability uh, ability point cap. So uh, like I think every thousand tiles you traverse, you'll gain one. But if you fill out an entire an entire dungeon floor's map, you'll you'll gain three. So that's how they incentivize you to explore, because obviously, like you'll you want to uh, keep uh, up to date on those abilities. And some of those abilities are very useful. Like I found one where it makes all my characters immune to poison, so I don't have to worry about that status ailment anymore. Or uh, some of the abilities uh, help you like kind of teleport uh, up and down uh, dungeon floors. Uh, way more easily instead of trying to find the exit uh to them to go up or down all you have to do is like stand on a tile that would be on the next floor or the floor be below you and you can you can traverse them like teleport to them immediately and then that, that that's kind of like the where the abilities how the abilities manifest I've, i haven't seen like a lot of them yet but there are already some useful ones that like i'm like okay that, that, there's an interesting one that i picked up that's still early on that like it 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 greatly increases the strength of a of a party member if they're uh, working solo, if they're only fighting alone. 
Like, obviously, I don't need that right now because I have a full party, but that's like maybe something I want to do later. Uh, I'm I'm on my second playthrough right now because my first one went badly, where I got overconfident in my uh, initial party, and they got wiped. Two of them got petrified, and two of them got KO'd. So on a party wipe in this game, um, you you are sent back to like the town hub, and you have to pick a new party based on like the available roster that they that they gave you at the beginning. So I had to like uh, start a new party with like these three people that are level one and whatnot and i was like i i was like i wonder how i'm gonna save these people because i don't like know how to cure petrify yet and i don't know if i have to um like uh how to like save these people and like i haven't actually i didn't make the descent with that second party because i was like already so fresh it's like i don't want to start over these people because i only have three of them and i have to like all level them up and gear them up again but uh what i did learn on my second playthrough uh was that you know you you'll find you'll find certain like shrines to help cure petrification and um what i'm really curious about is um there are selections in that party uh composition uh like list of like characters or they're like really cool ones like a robot and like uh like a a cat that looks like uh totoro and whatnot they're like high level oh, yeah. but it's there said it says they're wandering and like it doesn't show you the coordinates oh. of where they're wandering so i really wonder if like if as you go deeper to the game like you unlock you'll if you you'll find these characters out of floor and then maybe they'll, they'll head back to town and like they could be available for you to recruit and whatnot so uh i haven't gotten that far yet but that makes me interested um I think the 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 only other thing I really want to mention right now because I'm still relatively early on I, I want to say is that um uh, throughout the dungeon floors sometimes you'll pick up like uh bestiary uh like entries for the enemies that you find and obviously it'll show like how like their stats how much you know defenses they have how much HP and then like their common and rare drops and whatnot but the the cool thing about them is like they're they're marked with like uh like a certain like key identifier like say a bat is like uh zero f and that's like it's a bestiary index um so now for encounters that have bats in them in that dungeon floor like you'll see like a black zero f tile uh throughout the floor and then you'll know that like oh okay this battle that i'm coming to it'll have a bat in it i don't know what the other enemies are but i know there's a bat in here so like if you're trying to like uh farm for like a certain equipment drop from an enemy like that that, that could be an, uh, a handy like glance at resource for you to say oh okay this encounter here i can like bypass it because i because it doesn't have any of the enemies that i want to like try to like get a drop from you know what i mean yeah so it's it's a really interesting, nifty, very minimalistic, uh, you know, dungeon JRPG. Um, I'm I'm starting to get addicted. Like I said earlier, uh, there's a certain like I don't I don't know like I, I it's one of those games that I don't think it'll like appeal to everyone, but a certain type of like person who likes pen and paper, old school dungeon RPGs. Like I think this might really appeal to them. Like I, like I almost forgot to mention like this last night. Um, I got out like a, a pen and marker because there's this island in a dungeon floor that you couldn't reach 
um normally by mm-hmm. like uh, in that dungeon floor there's like no hidden tiles or whatever to get to like the treasure there what you had to do was either be on the floor below or the flow floor above and you had to use the ability to like warp up and down so you had to like basically get the coordinates of these tiles and then find the those similar coordinates on either the floor above or below that floor and then teleport up or down depending on what, on what you decide to do to that island that's pretty cool yeah and i was like i i need to like mark down these like these <laughs> coordinates to like make sure i like i'm standing is that what you're top. drawing on your graph paper yeah yeah and i was like that's really freaking cool i like that's awesome because I, I sound, was, the way I you was, describe this it sounds like a game that adam will adore i was i was definitely one of those people back then who like who played like w- like old school wizardry games and like i got out like graph paper and like drew like dungeons so like mm-hmm. it is it is activating like neurons inside me <laughs> that haven't been like just been touched in a very long time uh, i don't know if you mentioned it because you're saying the presentation is pretty simple but from what i heard the music's really good oh yeah the music's awesome <laughs> the guitars and the mm-hmm. yeah yeah, um, it, 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 like there's not a like the the music is starting to change up a little now in like the second biome that I'm in, like because you'll you'll hear the occasional like butt rock, da, 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 like you know the, the first area a lot, but then the music is starting to change up where I'm at, and it's it's uh, exciting and kind of scary because I don't know what to expect. <laughs> well, when this game was announced like less than two weeks ago, I wasn't sure that you know yeah. we'll be highlighting it on our podcast, but I've seen a lot of people excited about it, and it's. Sounds like it's got some really interesting premise. It's kind of interest. It's kind of cool to play a game that won't have like a staff credit list that goes on for hours, and it just has like <laughs> so much pumped into art assets, music assets, and animations or whatever. It's just distilled down to kind of like what is necessary to make an RPG and, and cutting out the, all the and even like this the like the few like like touches of animation it does is like it's like endearing in a way like mechanical enemies. Like they'll have a, an ability called like dismember. It's like a, it's like a huge like physical attack. But like when it, they attack you with it, it'll like shuffle around like your character's portrait like in very weird ways, kind of like a muffled like oh their their eyes shouldn't be there and their face shouldn't be like all mixed up like that. But like it, it's kind of eerie. So like when it does happen in those like small animation moments, they make it count. Yeah. So just very. Think... Go ahead. That's um, I think most of us have picked it up too, like a lot of us anyway. So. Uh, not yet, but uh, by next week. Well, if you, that's a, at least by the chat, if you like, if you have so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but only one of us got to actually play it so far. It's okay. I I, I do my best. You know, I I know I was like uh, on the verge of life. Uh, for a bit this week, but I'm glad I was able to at least. Yeah, get we are we are we are in your debt this week. So, <laughs> all right. The next game we're going to talk about is also one that I was not expecting at all. Uh, <laughs> this we literally decided on this like right ten minutes before the podcast started. Cause it's like, what have multiple people played this week, so that we could get some back and forth for uh, another game to talk about on our podcast. And uh, what we came up with was not something that I even had realized had released. It's not something we cover. It's not an RPG. It is Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. I hope I got all those words in the right order. Uh, I don't know anything about Super Monkey Ball at all, other than it's a Sega character that shows up in all those Sonic racing games uh, and things like that. 
Uh, I do. I think that Paige has played this and also James, and we just figured, why not? Let's talk about it. We've had multiple people playing it, uh, people who I presume have played multiple games in the series. Uh, since they haven't had a chance to hear them much yet, uh, I'll hand it over to James for now. Uh, James, tell me about your time with this new Super Monkey Ball game. So it's technically not really new. It's like a remake of Super Monkey Ball Deluxe, sort of. It's because, Super Monkey uh, Ball, Super Monkey Ball 2, and Super Monkey Ball Deluxe all sort of mushed together. Well, Super Monkey Ball Deluxe already was like Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2 mushed oh, okay. together. So that's why I said it's like, it's not exactly the same. There's some changes to the story mode where it's like none of the cutscenes have been recreated. They're just kind of like a VN style, like cutouts. And it's very like quick. So it's like, eh. Nobody plays Monkey Ball for a story mode though, so it's not a huge deal. It's kind of it's like <laughs> you well, can play, you can play Super Monkey Ball Adventure if you want that, but uh, I don't remember liking that game. So yeah, most people didn't. Um, <laughs> so I feel kind of bad because uh, Brian said, "Oh, well, I'm assuming that these people have played uh, more than one Monkey Ball game." No, I only played the original on GameCube, and I yeah. rented two once. So I never played two. I'd- I don't even know if I knew there was a two. <laughs> so the thing you need to know, uh, Brian, and pretty much anyone else listening that's never played Monkey Ball, is it's pretty unanimous. Yeah, that, yeah, it's pretty unanimous that the best one in the series was the first one, and it never quite reached the same heights. I've heard the Vita game was decent. One of these days I'll play it, because, hey, it's a Vita game, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's... um. Overall, I'd say the conversion is pretty good. Obviously, you go from a proprietary Sega engine to Unity. There's going to be some physics quirks. Mm. Uh, the PC version, you can fix sort of it, some of it, because like one of the biggest issues people have is that the console versions and the PC version by default even uses a circular gate for the analog dead zones, whereas the original GameCube games used a square dead zone. So it makes things feel very different in the way that you kind of lock into different directions. So one um, thing can change on Steam is you can just use like Steam and put the force it into a, a square dead zone. That feels a lot better. So I don't even need to explain it, but yeah, monkey ball gameplay is basically you're actually moving the stage with your stick and you're just trying to guide them to the goal basically. And the stages get really wacky. <laughs> um. Yeah, the, they did some weird changes with this because they took out lives, so you just sort of keep going. Although it doesn't save if you exit and then come back, which is really <laughs> annoying. Uh, and they there was like bonus stages in, I guess, Deluxe maybe, and they were so you'd get them, not the bonus, like different stages, you would get them if you'd gone that far without dying. Uh, but now they just make you do it. So then you've got these harder stages sandwiched in the regular ones that you have to do to keep going. But there are heaps of accessibility options and you can skip if you want. So, yeah, I think like my one kind of major complaint with it is like overall, it's a pretty decent like remake remaster of uh, deluxe. There's the issue with the square gate, which you can fix. There is another kind of sort of issue where in the original game, if you very lightly uh, kind of uh, press left or right on the analog stiff, you, ah, stiff, stick, <laughs> you would strafe um, and you wouldn't worry about the camera moving. That's not the case here. If you want to strafe, you need to kind of hold down on the camera, which is uh, 
something you can control this time in the previous games you didn't have access to like actual like camera controls but now if you want to strafe you kind of have to like hold down on the camera and then you can strafe which is kind of a pain in the butt especially for certain stages where you have like the thinnest like walkway imaginable and you need to be perfectly straight at the perfect angle in order to uh maintain your momentum and not fall off like there's a stage like in the 20s i think in uh the original monkey ball that's pretty infamous for that and it's like oh man much harder now since you uh it, this the controls are just a little bit more finicky you, again you can fix it on pc a little bit but it's just yeah why do you think they changed um, the a key part of the controls for the remake I don't think it was something they actively did because, again, they changed the engine. Oh, okay. So it just kind of fell out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be clear, like the controls are pretty damn close. Like, and if you've never played the original before, you won't even notice the differences. And it, at least on PC, again, with the Square Gate stuff, it, it works. I definitely have seen people that have complained about the console version since you can't change the uh, gating for the analog dead zone. And that might be a problem, but it's also like, I'm not sure if it's still on sale at a uh, game Boy Cause that's where I got my copy on PC. But at any rate, I got it for like 22 bucks. So Dang. pretty cheap. <laughs> Meanwhile, but- I spent the extra like 15 um, AU to get the classic songs and the classic skins, which is annoying because like in the mini games, you you can't you can only play as original cast and their skins don't apply so it's like what's even the point of having skins you can only use them in the main mode but that's another thing yeah so the mini games i haven't even touched because i just knew that they weren't going to be the same uh the one that everyone's talking about is um monkey target Mm, which if if you've never played Monkey Ball, like the way it worked in the original is that you kind of had to do like the Super Mario World, um, like bobbing up and down to maintain momentum and go yeah. as far as you could. That's not how it works now. It's basically just maintain the perfect like angle and then don't move at all. Yeah, it's I completely I, different. And it's like I had to look up. Like, I'm like, did I forget how to play the game? I can't. I literally can't play it at all. They've yeah, and people saying it's yeah that like don't show on videos on how to tell people try to, how to play it, and you basically just gotta find the right uh, speed and then wiggle like move your stick at the tiniest, especially on the Switch because the the joystick the joysticks are super finicky. I'm um, just trying to keep it at that like really perfect thing, but I I can't even get close to the landing spots at all. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's the main one that they screwed up and I think that's most people's favorite. The the fight they also screwed up because the camera just like it's one where you're just on a stage and you get like these gloves and you like you know move yourself around and try to punch people off and like get power-ups and stuff. But the camera stays in one like it's just sort of fixed now. It's just sort of like it's quite high above whereas in the original it was a bit moved a bit more like close-ups and stuff. So that's super annoying. I think most people haven't complained about all the other mini games, and some of them I don't know because they're from two. Uh, I uh, I did get annoyed at <laughs> I was playing um, pool. I think it's called billiards in this, and I went against a com, and because he got the first go, he scored 
seven of them before I even got to my turn. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just had it on normal too. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty yeah disappointed with the monkey target, especially and uh, since I have the original like that stuff, I'm just gonna you know have friends for it. That's what I'm, I'm just gonna use the original. I think another thing that's really minor because it, the like the multiplayer in terms of the main campaign was just you know wait wait when it's your turn, then like that person gets to play. But um, it, so they took that out, which was annoying. But it's basically. Wasn't really pass the control because you still have your separate playable character. So if you died, then that person would get to go through the levels, and you sort of it's a good way to have a break between you dying and then that person gets to go and have their turn and try to get through these levels. So it's annoying that they took that out too. I think generally it's a good package, but they've taken for me as a fan of the original, they've taken out a lot of things I like. Um, some of the things are really annoying, like to most people, like the the credit sequence you had to go through every time you died. That's <laughs> pretty long and annoying yeah. but, you know it's like there's a lot of like think little things like that i miss uh and yeah, they they screwed up the best uh mini game <laughs> and the mini mini games to me are like my favorite part of it really it's interesting um, to hear yeah. you two talk about this because it's always like how one of you talked about how the controls are different from the original game and then the other were talking about how the mini games feel different from the original game it's like i do wonder how someone new to the series would would just be I guess James touched on this. They would just be ignorant to anything that was shifted based on the engine change. And would they have almost a better experience? You know, ignorance is bliss sort of thing where they're like, I don't know how it was. And what's what's presented now seems fine to me. Yeah, like it's not bad. It's just there's all these little things that kind of add up over time. Like here's something in the original game. Whenever you cleared a stage, uh, you would in the animation of you shooting off up into the uh, the uh, sky you actually can see the outline of the next stage above you as you're shooting up to it. And you don't sometimes have that you hit here. your head on it. <laughs> yeah. This time you don't have it, which it's such a tiny thing, but it's like, yeah. man. And like you said, like, I understand why they got rid of, uh, rid of lives. I feel like they should have had an option to yeah. uh, play with lives and actually have the whole, okay, let's see how far you can get. And it's like, it's obviously an arcade style game and yeah. I don't understand why there wasn't at least the option. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for a new person, it's still like generally pretty solid, but just as yeah, someone who's played the original, what I like the most about it is not right. <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> so I, I can just stick with that. Um, but it is good because I never had Super Monkey World 2, so it's good to be able to play those stages. Even though I'm not very good at the main part of the game. <laughs> Any other final thoughts on this remake for Super Monkey Ball Deluxe? Why why didn't they do this in, before earlier? Because they did a remake of the Wii game, which is considered the worst in the series uh, before they <laughs> did this. Wait, when did that remake, remake come out? Uh, it uh, came out in 2018, I want to say. 2018, 2019, something like that. I know that you can buy a dual pack of that, and I want to say... Uh, it's either oh, Team Sonic right. Racing or yeah, I think Sonic so. Forces. One of the two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that because yeah, the the Wii one has like boss battles in it, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> That's this. So it's good to be mostly back to the the original formula. 
The last game we have on our list here was actually a game that I had never heard of before uh, that Paige brought up when we were just talking about the outline of this podcast before going into it. And that is Kaiju Wars, which all I know about this is what I was able to glean from the Steam page. It looks like kind of a pixel based advanced wars, you know, uh, f- focused, not focused, kind of styled, styled in that vein of an advanced war style game, obviously titled in the same way, uh, coming out mm-hmm. next year. But a demo was recently released that you had been putting some time into, but you haven't played Advance Wars, but you yet you were interested enough to try <laughs> out Kaiju Wars. I, I I don't even know how I heard of the game. I would have been like just like the day after the demo had come out because I hadn't been out that long. Um, I, I I just saw I think the the color palette because it's very like the the art pixel art detail is more than one NES game typically would be, but the color palette sort of give off that sort of vibe because the maps might be um gray orange and red or like purple and pink and stuff. like it's really cool looking colors yeah so yeah. it'll be interesting because the advanced wars remake will come out um before kaiju wars does so I, then when i <laughs> play that i can see what they've taken the inspiration from but yeah, it's a turn-based tactics game and it's yeah focused on sort of resource management because you're the military going against these kaiju that pop up and any buildings that aren't destroyed like the civilian buildings will generate money which is what you use to launch more tanks or fighters or bombers things like that and the scientists will be working to build like science points at the lab and you basically win a fight by earning breakthroughs which is either by filling up the like the amount of like science vials you need um, and that makes a breakthrough, or whittling down the kaiju till it retreats, which doesn't like to defeat it because you've got to meet that requirement of breakthroughs, but it'll temporarily get it to go away for maybe a turn or two. And yeah, otherwise, the combat is pretty much like you click and you move them like t- to that spot on the square. Um, because you're going against big monsters, they, they usually um, like they don't survive one hit, like one attack from the, <laughs> the monster. But you use the tanks, and the tank will slow down the movement so that the kaiju so can't. It sounds a little bit like steps. tower defense, a little bit where you where you put up like um, passive defenses to prevent the kaiju from getting to you. It's it's kind of fodder, yeah. And there's some levels that are just like optional puzzle-based ones, where it actually taught me that the kaiju will typically move towards the nearest building. So then, like, it had you like just try to survive a certain amount of turns. So you had to try and like build new structures with your money um to at, at the right time to get it to go go on the right pattern of destroying buildings so you could survive on time and almost like a, almost like crafting a sacrificial building just to distract it yes that was like that was <laughs> the whole point of that uh and there the, then there's other things like this that that basic combat and you eventually get these experimental weapons that like you develop through a few turns and that could be a freezing ray or a basically a Gundam because <laughs> it, oh, it, yeah, right. it starts right. off right, as Josh a plane. <laughs> it starts off as a plane and then when it gets hit by the kaiju, it'll turn like into like standing upright mech and then that, that can, so those one, like that one can survive a couple of hits. Like, so that's a good point of it. Whereas the other things, they I won't, know. but I, like I'll say, buy this game next year and run it at like 144 fps <laughs> and it's like 400 by 400 pixels or something like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um 
and there's the the those are the fun weapons, things like that. And there's the other mechanic of you've got the security. So in the lab, uh, eventually that security will break down and you have to evacuate the um, doctor to another lab without getting trampled on by the kaiju <laughs> that's on the way to the lab that it was last at. But during that turn, while they're in the truck or the like, the plane, the boat, whatever, to evacuate, then you don't generate any money or science points. So then you don't have those resources, like you're not generating the resources to repair your fighters and things like that, which, you know, like I said, normally they only survive one hit and the monsters will have special abilities so they can usually take out two or so at a time. And then, like, the, the mechanics start developing further in the demo. You've got sort of this, like, a little deck, like, sort of a jack system too, because you'll get, like, three cards and then you get to choose what you want. So you might get gain two science points or you might add a permanent buff to all the current allies on the map. Things like, oh, like, build, build a lab for free. And, like, that, they'll run out. Whereas the enemies, well, not the, like, the, the kaiju, like, the story-wise, it's like, uh, the, it might be caused by aliens or something. It's basically, you're the mayor of this floating city in the sky, and you have a very enthusiastic, but not that smart, um, army guy and the scientist is basically your team. <laughs> I, I feel like that's always the case, right? Like, there's always a 50 yeah. that the kaijus are, it's the, the kaiju is either aliens or it's like some ancient creature that has been here since the beginning of the earth and it's now really pissed off. And um, so the enemies also sort of have like this card shuffle system, and but there's when they run out then they'll add eight, eight health to the kaiju and it'll reshuffle, whereas when you run out of your cards, it, that's just it. But you don't have to use the cards every turn, so, which is something I need. <laughs> they have, like, the weekly challenge maps, and that's something I should have done, one of the challenge maps. Are, so it's really looking, fun. Are you going to pick this up when it comes out? Def, definitely. I actually didn't, didn't finish the demo because I realized there was another a page, like, a, the last battle I hadn't done. But I got to play like the battle where there was two kajus, and that was like fun trying to keep them away from everything. It's really fun, yeah. I'm, I'm really <laughs> glad that you brought this to our attention. Um, I'm, I'm kind of keeping yeah, it really, now. It's really cool, and there's so far the kaju. There's a like King Kong looking one. There's an opossum looking one, and there's like this moth one. So a uh, big flaming moth. So you gotta like you ground guys, kind of attack it until eventually, like, it'll get knocked down and they'll just, like, sort of bar on the ground so then your ground unit's going to attack it. And, yeah, that's, like, little... Cri There's also crises that might come up. So, like, the, the the level that the moth sort of one comes up is on a volcano. So every four turns, like, four squares on the map would go on fire, which meant your units can't pass through it. But you can sacrifice the unit and then that'll put out the fire. And it's yeah, it's basically just sort of managing the sacrifices because repairing one of the units is like a dollar, but if you're not generating any more income than that <laughs> because all the civilian buildings are gone, then that's a problem because you don't have any more taxes to collect. <laughs> so that, I don't that, know. It kind of that kind of vaguely <laughs> just vaguely reminds you of uh, Into the Breach where you had to like protect cities to keep your power grid going. Uh, pretty much because if you if you had uh, building sabotage, it would cut into your resources as well. So yeah, you were incentivized to, I guess, protect the civilians. So yeah, I don't like they like usually they eventually go away, <laughs> but you know <laughs> you want to keep them around for as much as you can to try and and they survive. 
but the yeah the kaiju is really strong like they've got like massive chunks of health and then they'll have their special abilities too where they might regenerate health every few turns or something you know or be able to insta kill somebody that's behind them without having to actually use their move up so typically the science breakthroughs are are better but you can like a couple of times I have whittled them down enough to like get the kaiju to <laughs> piss off for a couple <laughs> a couple rounds and give me a break and like so it's good to like balance both of those and yeah I, I haven't played advanced war so I don't know how much advanced war is if that focuses much on the resource management because yeah this is well, you get like genres confused because yeah, it's just a turn-based tactic, not really an SRPG. But I'm used to those grid-based, um, turn-based games being that. But it's very interesting, just like the resource management and then sort of the puzzle lack of trying to keep trying to get the kaiju to go a specific direction so that it does not <laughs> trample on the lab that I'm still trying to build the Gundam at. Uh, it's really fun. It sounds a little bit more like Advanced Wars. It's been so long. I played the original game on GBA. And I do know you have like, uh, it's a little bit RTS-like where you have the, the the buildings that generate the units that you keep building. But I don't remember exactly how much resource management played into it. This sounds like it's a bit more involved, though I'm reaching back like two decades <laughs> to, to remember yeah. how it actually works. Um, um, there is also uh, medals you get. So if you put beat on hard, you get a medal. Or if you beat it within a certain amount of turns, you get a medal. And then, so yeah, there's about three you can get per level. And then you can spend those to put, like, permanent, like, stat increases on your ace unit. So, like, you've got your normal tank, but you've also got your ace tank or your ace AA. Things oh, like. so then Okay, yeah. So, so there's, there's a reason. So if you're struggling, then you, like, go back and try to beat the earlier stages in less turns or on the harder difficulty to buff up one of your units, some of your special units. So those are uh, permanent buffs that persist across maps. Yeah. So that yeah. I, I actually kind of like that. It kind of gives you some some long term progression in that way, yeah. and you know, reason to go for those challenges and revisit uh, the earlier maps. Yeah. It's it's super fun, and I don't I don't know how I heard of it. I think I was just interested just by the visuals because like the colors of it, uh, but I really like it. Yeah, and, and we've, I'm, we've... I'm having having fun trying to figure like. I had to get to the point where I've um, had to skip the animations because I'm trying to do that one puzzle when I'm trying to figure it out on my own. And it's like, so instead of like waiting for it to, <laughs> to slowly walk through, I'm just like, skip, skip. While I try to figure out what's the best way to sacrifice the buildings. But yeah, it's been neat that we've, we've been able to bring up a few uh, indie games and these sorts of things uh, on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. So this was one we would have totally skipped if you hadn't uh, decided to join us this week. So like, like Josh yeah. said, thanks for bringing it to our attention. It looks like a, another, another one of those titles to throw into Q1 next year uh, for, 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 for an indie project. So let's, let's go ahead and keep that on the list as well. I was just going to say the demo is on Steam, so anyone can try it there. <laughs> oh yeah, that's where you played it. So yeah. on Steam. This week, we do have a number of features that have gone up on the site based on games that we've already talked about on the podcast uh, previously, and kind of a, a just a smorgasbord of things that have shown up in the last week uh, that I know James has written two of these, and we've also got two others, one from uh, Cullen and one from, I believe, Scott. Yes, Scott. So we'll do the ones that James talked about first, and the one we'll lead off with because it's one of the upcoming bigger releases of the year, and that is... Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker, of course. So 
Uh, as always, when we talk about this MMO, I'm not equipped to talk about it uh, with any level of knowledge or understanding. So I will just hand it off to James, who had a chance to play through uh, a bit of the game in a preview environment. So just let us know, uh, what did you think about what you're, what you're able to experience with your Endwalker preview? Honestly, I kind of went over everything I wanted to talk about in the preview, specifically because it was a, it was a really weird situation to be in because obviously we don't cover 14s and nitty gritty stuff nearly as much as a place like Nova Crystallis would or all these like content creators like Mr. Happy or Zeppo HQ, all those people like there are dedicated like outlets and there, there are dedicated channels for folks that are directly interested in the nitty gritty stuff of 14. But when I was playing through it and I obviously I've, I've put plenty of time into the MML, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's still kind of like pretty short compared to these other people. So when I was writing up about things, it was kind of awkward because I'm talking about all these like nitty gritty stuff that, well, let me just put it this way. The very first thing I had to decide when I sat down to write my impressions was, okay, am I going to try and talk about this to people that haven't played 14? Or am I going to just abandon any pretense and be like, okay, anyone reading this already knows what no GCD is. I don't have to explain it and just go from there. Ultimately, I decided, look, if you're reading about like systemic changes for the latest Final Fantasy XIV expansion, I am going to assume that you know the jargon, and I'm not going to hold back. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't imagine like there's a lot of like brand new FF14 newcomers that are like, I can't wait for the Endwalker previews, and I'm going to go check those out. I just I don't know what like if there's an audience like that. I would I, I would be in your your mindset of like anyone who wants to read Endwalker previews like already knows that they want Endwalker pretty much and they just kind of they they want to satiate their curiosity yeah but on the same token i can't well first off i haven't maxed out every single job in the game so i can't go oh. over like every single <laughs> yeah. like like level 90 job change and yeah we had like, like eight or so hours to play the game but the thing is is that that's still not that much time to get into the real nitty-gritty changes of every single job in the game Unless you're like deliberately like, well, first off, like most of my time spent playing the game was in front of a striking dummy, just checking out changes to the jobs that I play and I've maxed out already in Shadowbringers. And that was only testing like seven jobs plus uh, messing around with Sage and Reaper. There's other people out there like, oh my God, all the stuff that Fanbyte's doing with uh, like, hey, and like, Run to the site, Natalie, uh, obviously, is doing stuff for Fanbyte for uh, the 14 coverage there. But it's like they have a whole dedicated team of like, what is it, like five people? And like all of them were also in the preview event. And they were like really doubling down, making sure that they can cover everything that you can squeeze out of that preview event. It was just me. I haven't done everything in the game. I've done a lot of the stuff in the game so I can write impressions. But it's just, it was a very interesting experience, like sitting down playing this. And I, I could go on and on about stuff that I tried and like the minute changes. But honestly, there's no point. If you if you want to hear my impressions or you want to read my impressions, I should say, the article's up. 
not going to spend half an hour just talking about the slightest <laughs> changes to jobs. Uh, Did you enjoy uh, it? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's the important yeah. part. If you had fun, uh, then yeah, go for it. A, I certainly wouldn't be able to do like a preview thing because like, I play one class and that's <laughs> so I wouldn't be able to talk about yeah any because that's the major thing that like, everyone's posting like the videos of like oh this class changed and this class changed and I'm like. I don't care. I'll find out when it happens. <laughs> I'll go to a hot bar and I'll scream. Like, <laughs> they done. James, you mentioned that you were, you briefly were able to touch the Reaper and Sage, right? The new jobs in yes. uh, Endwalker. Yeah, the uh, can you can you give us just like a just very brief like you know just initial thoughts on them for people who are interested? Uh, Reaper's like, hey, I heard you like burst phases, so we put a burst phase in your burst phase, so you can burst when you burst. All right. Uh, basically, it has two separate uh, bars that you charge up. Uh, one that you uh, charge in order to get access to your abilities with the uh, the Void Scent uh, power-up. And it's kind of juggling those two. It's kind of similar to the white and black mana stuff from Red Mage, but not the same. But uh, generally, you're, you're building up one bar that you spend to build up the second bar, which is then your burst uh, phase. And, uh, so are you building up a bar to like uh, summon like your? I think it had like a shadow familiar of some sort. Did it? Did it have that? Summoning um, like, a demon. Okay, just, so uh, just straight so up a demon. Okay, so you're building up a bar to like like summon a demon first. Uh, you're building up a bar to use, uh, I believe, abilities that reap soul energy, and then you use that um, energy to summon the demon. Oh, okay. All right. Damn, that's edgy. Something like that. Yeah, it, it's it's very edgy, and it's also it's called Reaper. What do you expect? I I can't wait to do the job quest for it because in the lore, oh, yeah. it's literally uh Garlean farmers that got sick and tired of their uh of like famine and like issues with their crops that they're just like you know what these scythes aren't just for harvesting. Uh, oh crops. shit! <laughs> oh my god! And it's and it's and it's great because knowing 14 and like obviously last year I was like talking about how there's like these weirdest connections you get from like disparate content in the the uh, MMO like how I was talking about how since I did the the Heavensward botany quests there was an NPC in the Stormblood Alliance raid quest that my character mistakenly recognized because the two of those NPCs were sisters. So knowing oh. that, the fact that in the lore, um, Reapers are just literally edgy botanists, knowing that <laughs> I finished up all the botany quests, there's going to be a lot of in-jokes there, and I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, how about Sage? Uh, how did that uh, go for you? I honestly wasn't able to test it as much as I wanted, mm -hmm. uh, mostly because most people, again, were kind of parking their butts right in front of the striking dummies. And obviously for healer, in order to get a real feel for, for things, you kind of want to use it in encounter. And um, I didn't want to use it with trusts and I didn't want to use it my first time going through the dungeon. So I messed around with the abilities a bit. It seems interesting, but admittedly, I didn't get too much of a chance to deal with it. Like okay. practically. Okay. Yeah, you are kind of right, though, that Final Fantasy XIV is big enough that there are dozens, if not more, just dedicated content creators that this is all they do day in, day out, daily streams, <laughs> daily videos, where getting getting the weekly or monthly preview from a site like us, which is more general, uh, is 
maybe a little bit different for like uh, the more casual observer, but then they are probably not going to also be less likely to be looking at the previews for the patch notes for balance changes. So I understand that you, the kind of the impression that you're giving that you're kind of in like a very niche of a niche in terms of what your coverage is, should cover compared to everything else. Uh, I, mean, uh, look, I, I get it okay because i like uh, throughout the week like i was watching like a one hour breakdown video the newest guilty gear strive patch uh <laughs> my friend often goes on live streams like the, on streamers who like spend like eight plus hours a day if there's, there's a new path of exile patch and they do like a, a patch breakdown stream like i get it my, my subscription said, box after the embargo was just full. <laughs> yeah, like Mr. Happy put out a full like 20 or so minute video for every single job in the game. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Uh, but again, it's his job, so it makes sense. But um, I will say that I was pleasantly surprised that as soon as uh, I left embargo lifted and our uh, coverage went live, that there was at least a few people that very clearly read our stuff first. And there was like a quote retweet of the uh, tweet um, for the article saying, oh, man, these astrology changes sound great. It's like, oh, man, somebody actually read it. It wasn't. Yeah, someone, someone read the yeah. website. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> uh, just uh, semi-related. We're next. Um, this is an intervention. Why did you make embargo 5 a.m. Pacific? Do you, I, uh, do, do, okay. do you hate me? <laughs> I, I'm oh, used to it. You. I'm used to it already. I, I'm used to Japanese embargoes or, and, and just getting screwed over because we're on the Pacific. Yeah. Uh, pain. Yeah. But yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. I guess... Good transition to the next article. Um, basically, so Monster Hunter Rise is coming to PC next year in January. And uh, just out of nowhere, Capcom uh, Europe basically uh, sent an email my way, uh, the representative there that I worked with for a Rise on Switch, saying, hey, here's an early code for the PC demo. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I should do something about this. So I uh, recorded the Magnamalo hunt failed because the demo Magnamalo was harder than pretty much anything else in the base in the actual game, I feel like, um, and uh, put it up on YouTube. So 4K60. And I thought, man, the uh, Monster Hunter Stories 2 uh, PC 4K60 video I did did really well. This will probably do well, too. And it's like, nope, uh, people actually cared to record 4K video from the usual suspects this time. So it's like, oh, well, but um, I put out I some. I played I played this too a little um to to see 144 uh rise FPS rise in action and uh, I'm like, so I, sorry Josh I'm so sorry I I yeah I, I did this and uh, Tales of Arise and now I um I don't know I don't want to be one of those PC elitist people who are like I can't ever go back after 144 FPS but it's one of those things like you see it in person and you just don't know how to describe it to like another person who has never seen it before. But it's like so smooth, crisp, and clear when it's in motion that like it's just like I don't ever want to touch the Switch version again. And I don't ever want to see like Tales of Arise running at a lower well, frame rate again. It's funny I'm that you like, say that because uh, what did you title this article, James? Uh, I don't remember the exact wording. Give me one second. Oh, here it is. Monster Hunter Rise's PC port is going to make me abandon my Switch copy, which it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I am kind of glad that I didn't bother to touch any of the uh, post-launch update stuff 
So that means that I am still HR7 because I haven't touched it since the Hunter rank unlocked. I'm the biggest loser then. Because uh, I, I guess I went through all the title uh, updates for Switch and then they already confirmed in a tweet like, you know, despite uh, g- giving a survey about, you know, your hopes and dreams for having cross save in it we, we can now confirm there won't be cross save for rise on pc for switch like all right well thanks capcom so um i'm just trying to uh drag people with me again be like hey you want to grind rise with me next year <laughs> well at uh, least at least it's um coming out on pc before sunbreak so we will have time to catch up it coming, it's coming it's coming out five days before elden ring so i'm just like i'm just gonna try to fucking grind it before elden ring because when elden ring hits no, there's nothing else i'm gonna be playing well it's fine we have like like what four or five months with the base game pc version before sunbreak that's, that's plenty true. of time to just like kind of casually catch up that's true Two of the other previews that have gone up on the site. Uh, Actually, one is a review, and this is one from Cullen. Uh, As has been kind of his genre for the last month, he looked at another port of a Switch game. Uh, And in this case, it was Disco Elysium. I worded that weirdly, a port to Switch of an existing game. (laughs) Uh, So uh, so Disco Elysium was just the latest in... uh, very long trend of games releasing later on Switch, uh, usually by a different porting house. We've seen them be really successful and we've seen them be not so great. Uh, it sounds like Disco Elysium, basically, it's brilliant, still shines through on Switch, which knowing Colin, he was going to get that take anyways, unless he uh, really didn't take to the game itself. Uh, he mentioned a few performance issues, but he basically said that he didn't really have any issues with the controls or with reading it. He went way into uh, kind of, it's almost basically another review about how he thought about the writing. What, when he talked when he talked about what does good writing mean, he tried to kind of put that, put words to that because sometimes it's kind of stated as like a blanket statement in terms of like, this game has good writing. Well, what does that mean? Uh, and so we basically have three almost reviews up on the site for Disco Elysium, one for the PC release, one for the PlayStation release, and one for the Switch release that are all in different ways, pretty glowing. So uh, if you haven't played it yet, uh, you should make time for it because it's, it's a great game. And now it's on Switch. You can read Colin's thoughts on that. It's up on the site. The last uh, preview that we put up on the site is actually a game we haven't talked about in like a year or so, or maybe earlier this calendar year. I forget when we first t- looked at this, but that is... Baldur's Gate 3. So Baldur's Gate 3 is doing the typical Larian Studios, who's developing it, route of being in early access for an extended period of time uh, before it releases, you know, in 1.0 state or whatever you want to call it. When it first came to early access, we actually did a YouTube video on it. We did our casual mode series on it. I think we had a, a former site contributor actually write a preview about it on it. Uh, Kyle Campbell wrote that up several months back. But since that point, we haven't really carved out a lot of space for it on the site because it's just been going through like iterative updates as it's in early access. And it kind of just depends on like how much effort do you want to put in covering these like almost pre-release but playable version of the game as it gets new content, new classes, things like that. Well, we have we have kind of we have uh, more staff members now, more contributors, more people interested in the style of game. And uh, we actually had Scott able to basically revisit Baldur's Gate 3 with its newest patch preview. And this includes uh, a new playable region, a new class in the Sorcerer, I believe. 
yeah, the, at the at the price that it's in Australia, I'm like, I, I don't want to pay that much for an early access game, so I'm trying to wait just for the full game so I can enjoy it properly. But I've definitely been watching videos of a particular character. <laughs> what do you mean by that? The Astarian. Oh yeah. Because so, people, you know, do di- like the conversations that you have with the character. People like record that and then like all the different options, like what happens, what you say to them, things like that. Yeah. So uh, this, the, it's Baldur's Gate three is kind of interesting because it's obviously uh, a different developer than the original games. It's coming out twenty years later. So some people, I remember, have kind of chidingly said, oh, "This is just Divinity Original Sins Baldur's Gate flavored or whatever," because of, because of its turn base, because of its uh, focus on character dialogue which the original games kind of had but not nearly to the same extent uh, unless you include like the characters that beam dog added to later releases of Baldur's gate which kind of touched on that a bit um i really enjoy the turn-based combat because usually when i'm playing like i'm still working through pathfinder right now um but i'll get i'll get a review on that at some point this century uh but it has and this is more and more common where a game will have a turn-based option and a real-time option. And usually when I'm given two options, I'll do the real-time option because I'm impatient. But Baldur's Gate 3 is turn-based through and through. So it's, I actually kind of like it when a game uh, kind of forces that on you and forces you to think more tactfully. Okay. And, it, and it doesn't actually, it doesn't have like one mode that easily outstrips the other in terms of how it feels to play. And, no, and the other mode is just more of a curiosity or on the back burner. Uh, but anyways, we do have Scott's thoughts on Baldur's Gate 3. We will obviously cover it more in detail once it releases. Uh, it's just kind of in that weird early access limbo, but figured it's been several months since we've taken a chance to look at it. And so we've got another write-up on the site from one of our newer contributors. So go take a look at that. In terms of news for the week, uh, it's another kind of light week as we just wait for the big November releases like Endwalker to, to land. Uh, we do finally have a release date for Monarch. So this is the Furyu Landcars game that's kind of built from the uh, foundation of the original Shin Megami Tensei SMT IF uh, creators. And it will release in North America on February 22nd and February 25th in Europe. So kind of when we expected it to land. It is actually just as of two days ago released in Japan. So it is already out, and we'll get it next year. We did get a new trailer for the English uh, dub. I wonder. I wonder if there's like any like impressions from people who've already played uh, Monarch. I'm I'm really curious to know what people think about this game. I don't know if I should like be interested or not. <laughs> I know, you know one person who played the uh, demo, uh-huh. and their impression was, "Oh, oh no, this is bad. <laughs> this is for you, Jank." That was his impression. Oh, but some I people, some so some people, Furu Jank is endearing. Uh, endearing. <laughs> Adam, I am going to continue to die on the hill that Lost Dimension is a good game. <laughs> Once and again, Furu Jank. It's interesting because when this game was first announced, like based on the pedigree, based on the, maybe the way they announced it, maybe based on just the style, it felt like it's been downhill since then. Like the more they revealed about this game, like the less interest there seems to have been in general. Like, oh, never mind, I don't want that. Um, my only takeaway, not having any real experience with uh, SMT outside of the Persona series uh, or any of the the pedigree behind this, is normally here. I'll, I'll put it like this: I'm the type of person that plays eighty percent of 
the games uh, that I play, even if they have dual voice tracks, I'll play them in English. When I watched this new Adversaries trailer for Monarch, which released alongside the release date, I'm like, man, this voice acting is just awful. I don't know if it's the lines they've picked. I don't know if it's the fact that they're out of context. Because usually I've I've watched trailers before where I watch yeah. English voice acting and I think it, it comes across like stilted or stale uh, in the trailers. And that's usually because they've got trailer music playing and then they just splice in just the recording of the line on top of it. And then sometimes it just doesn't come across right. Maybe that's what's happening here. But I was listening to this and I was just like, man, I I am very lenient towards English dubs, and I'm not I'm not enjoying this. Uh, so that was I, my initial takeaway. Unless unless the overwhelming sentiment, I guess I guess the Japanese Amazon will have to help me with this. <laughs> unless the overwhelming sentiment is like, oh no, I, I'm still sort of curious. I wanna I don't know. I, it's not like I want to believe in this game. It's more just like I'm so, so. curious. So there's this one Japanese streamer that streams on YouTube that I've watched kind of uh, bits and pieces of uh, uh-huh. because back um, when I was playing through Labyrinth of Galleria, they were like the only content creator of any type that I saw playing it. Oh, God. So uh, he finished uh, Monarch's uh, normal ending last night. So pretty soon he'll finish whatever a true ending is, if there is a true ending. And then he'll like post his thoughts. So we'll find out what he thought about it at least. <laughs> Man, that that person's a trooper, all right. He's a uh, he or she's a legend. They're a legend. One of the games that is releasing later in the month worldwide is Super Robot Wars 30, of course. So we got some more news this week about some DLC for it and some of the other series that it will involve. And the major one here is that it will include cameos. I don't know if cameo is the right word. Uh, it will include characters from the Sakura War series. So based the fact that we're talking about Super Robot Wars and Sakura Wars, I'm going to hand this off to Josh to see what he thinks about this. And there's also a demo, uh, which I don't know if you've uh, had yeah, time to get into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've gotten uh, a chance to, to play that a little bit. Um, yeah, this is man, this is crazy. So, uh, the Bandai Namco had a Super Bowl Wars 30, uh, like kind of live stream or trailer to uh, this week for, for the game, and then they showed like the, the contents of downloadable content number one because there's gonna be like two like DLC packs for this game, and then they're supposed to like add like nine new playable characters, um, and like 13 bonus missions and whatnot. And like, and the the whole um, the the weird thing about this is like this is the first time they've done DLC uh, of this type where they added like playable characters as DLC. The the previous DLC stuff they've done for the SRW games is mainly just like, hey, here's like a, these batch of missions that are uh, away from the main storyline and the main progression. These are kind of like uh, they're they're ways to kind of because these games are already long. And like these uh, missions don't like really fit in in with the the main storyline path. They're kind of the more like jokey, humorous uh, type of uh, stages that like very are very simple. And they awarded like you know bonus like parts and whatnot and money, uh, in game money, uh, for them. So this is like the first time they've done like adding like playable characters in here. So they were teasing like they were gonna add like some new series in here and whatnot. So in this one they added. Uh, Gundam Shards Counter Attack uh, Belter Belter Chica's Children, which is I think uh, only I, I think it was only a novel or a manga. It's no, it was never animated, and this will uh, come in the form of Amuro's High New Gundam, 
leading the way for this one. Uh, this high new Gundam has already made an appearance in uh, prior uh, entries in the series. Uh, Voltus Five uh, is coming in this uh, DLC pack as well, which is makes sense because Combatler V um, was already in the base version. So uh, those two series like to intermingle with their robots, and then um, the the interesting one with each of these DLC packs is uh, they would have two representatives from the Super Robot Wars OG series. And the OG series meaning there's a separate Super Robot Wars series um, main line away from like the ones that have like licenses with Gundam, Evangelion, Mazinger, um, Getter Robo and whatnot. So this is like the OG series is obviously just all original robots, all original characters. They're, they don't have any licenses tied behind them and those uh haven't really been localized all that often like the earliest official one that the west got was one for the game boy advance with atlas the original original generation one and two um and then the west this never got an official western release but it got uh an english release in southeast asia with uh uh super wars og the moon dwellers and that was like about uh seven years ago and whatnot so the two representatives here uh, for this DLC pack in 30 are Kusaha and Bullet. They're well-known characters in that main line. And then they have these special robots that are uh, kind of like the uh, sacred beasts, uh, the Ryuko-O and the Ko-Ryu-O. They're, they're technically like the same unit, but they have different configurations, whether like the dragon form is the representative or the tiger form as a representative and then they have like different move sets and spells and whatnot so that's really cool to see but the the big main one that like kind of got people out of nowhere was sakura wars uh this is not the first time that sakura wars has showed up in a, a super robot wars game um it made its debut in super robot wars cross omega which was the now dead mobile game a mobile gacha game in japan and that one got like a crap load of like crossovers and cameos and first time debuts and whatnot so that's where sakura war sakura wars first uh debuted there for the series but this is the first one that is coming to a home console uh entry and that's really really exciting because we're obviously going to get this in the west officially as well for the uh representatives uh coming here we have the the main heroines of like the older games this is not this is separate from the Sakura Wars game that came out in the West in 2020. There's not from Shin Sakura Tyson. Um, so n- none of the characters or reps are here. Confusingly just called Sakura Wars, right? Yep. There's just that. That was just <laughs> called Sakura Wars in, in the West. That was the Western mm-hmm. title. And then that is, you know, it, may, it makes this conversation even more confusing, you know? Um, so for this one, you have Sakura Shinguji from the, the main heroine from the very first Sakura Wars game uh, and also the second one. Uh, you have Erica from Sakura Wars 3 and um, uh, Gemini from Sakura Wars 5. So you have the, the because Sakura Wars 4 was like kind of like a compilation title of like the previous characters. So, you know, three of the three main heroines of the, of the older series are there. You also have the, the heroes as well. Uh, Ichiro Ogami and Shinjiro Taiga. Uh, Ogami was the hero for 1 through 4. And then Taiga uh, was uh, the hero for five. So that's a, a total of five uh, units from Sakura Wars coming to Super Wars 30. Then you have Kusahan bull- Bullets uh, units, which are 
I guess counted as separate in this one. So that's a seven, and then you have Voltus five for eight, then High New Gundam for nine. So there's your nine DLC units for downloadable content pack one for this game. That's quite. I don't think anyone really saw this coming. Of like, oh, there's gonna be a shitload of Sakura Wars <laughs> characters coming uh, for this one. Um, that's awesome. I'm very, very happy and excited and surprised. That's what I'd like to see. I don't know what to even expect with the DLC pack two. If this is what they're gonna do for DLC pack one, um, I, I, I'm just saying a lot of our audience likes Falcom and they like the Trails of Cold Steel series. It's not impossible that you might see Trails of Cold Steel as a downloadable content pack in our DLC for SRW. I don't know. What, what, That's not, what makes what makes you go specifically to that series as being possible? Because it's very like Japan really likes the series. It's very relevant. It's very it has modern. mechs. It has mechs. It's very modern. <laughs> it has um, mechs. That's the, and, that's the and, only and, and like yeah, and uh, you know, Kondo is very open like to uh, collaborations. Like uh, Trails of Cold Steel, I've seen a lot of like gotcha game collaborations with like Langrisser, for example. Like you know, so I can I can see it. You know that it's uh, it's not you know off the table. So, but you know, I I think if I were if I were really reaching deep and like I wanted to see something like crazy, like maybe Zone of the Enders, I don't know. <laughs> um, but you know, the sky's the limit, and I'm really, really happy that like Sakura Wars coming to a home version SRW. Even if, even if it's DLC, like I get it. Like why wasn't this in the base version? You know, and I think this is just part of like the licensing agreement with Sega. Like this is had this had to be done because it's it would be hard. Like if. If there was ways to make this hard to fit in the game, like contractual agreements with Sega, or like it's the it's hard like for the scenario to fit like the Sakura War series as is with the, with its world and whatnot in there. Like I get it. Like I, I can see why people would be kind of um, pissed off. Like if if like why this had to be a DLC, but you know I, I I'm happy that this was possible in the first place, and I hope you know. People are just as happy when they are able to, you know, play it. I guess the the thing that that does make people scratch their heads is like, why why is High New a DLC and whatnot? Because High New was just like a like I think a secret unit or a base unit. I forgot, but you could like unlock it like in like just the some of like the, the more immediate entries and like I don't know, like it has new animations uh, put into it. So there is definitely it's not like a copy and paste job in this version, but um. Yeah, that's kind of the, they said to expect this DLC pack to come um, sometime in November. They also announced that a, a demo came out for this game. This is not uh, this is a weird situation where a demo for Super Wars Thirty did come out, but it's only for the PS uh, for the console versions on PS4 and Switch. So that means um, the Western release that's technically only on Steam um, does not get this demo um, for whatever reason. Probably data mine memories. I don't know. Um, but you can download the demo on where uh, the game is available. Like there, like there's an English version of the demo on, on like the Singapore PSN. You can select an English language option if you download it from the Japanese eShop, um, and it allows you to play like the first four stages on both uh, routes. Because uh, boot up the game, you can uh, go to Earth route or the space route, and then you'll encounter different anime series from the get go, depending on which route. Like. The Earth route has like Jay Decker, Gridman, uh, while the space route has like Victory Gundam and the Majestic Prince. And then you can choose either the male or female original protagonist in them, and then they'll have different scenes and interactions and whatnot. 
Um, so you know, if you if you're really interested to see, like you know, the, will I like this game? Go go check those out. Um, I I dabbled with it a little bit. I think the one thing that really stuck out to me um, about the game is I'm really glad that they're not committing one of the cardinal sins of nonlinear game progression. Um, because in in this game, uh, unlike previous titles, um, this allows you to like select uh, from a list of missions going forward after the first mission. So say after the first mission is done, uh, you have like these two stages and you can tackle them in any order you want. And say one of the stages is a victory Gundam stage with the Shrike team. And then the other stage is like the beginning of Majestic Prince. So you get to like meet the, the characters of Majestic Prince and like, you know, they join you after that battle and whatnot. Um, it accounts for that in the game because like it recommends you to do the victory Gundam Strike team stage first because it's technically on paper numbers wise it's just easier but the the majestic prince was prince one is harder but you know the, you get like cooler units um earlier as well so if you do the majestic prince stage first and go back to the v- victory gundam strike team stage like there'll actually be like uh actually be like new interactions and dialogue with the characters because and it actually takes it to mind that like hey you did the harder stage first but the the context of this stage would have them react so it's actually accounting for characters that you already obtained were when you were supposed to like quote unquote obtain them later so like in in the in the stage where you go back to after you recruit these these, these uh characters they never faced against like human like pilots before or human enemies before so like they have like an interaction in that stage where they're like like oh this is weird like we're going against like against like actual human people now they're trying to gun us down so we have to like fend them off but like it's like they have like they're shaken up that like they they thought they were only fighting aliens but they're actually fighting human people now and that's like a really cool interaction that they have with like the strike team there that like you meet so it actually accounts uh for like hey you have these characters you get to see this uh, new cutscene. And that's really and that, cool that's, because speaking very generally, that's one of my favorite kind of attention to detail things in RPGs. I know Super Mario Wars is kind of on the fringe, uh, but it um, when I the game that I actually thinking of this is more generically that concept that you're talking about. But in Greedfall 2018, I believe is when that came out. Like if you skip some early game quests and then get a late party member and then come back to do those early game quests, that party member will have like additional dialogue basically saying hey this this person this involves this person um so we're gonna make sure that it's implemented and you kind of mentioned it as like a sin of non-linear gameplay where the where one one way to make, easily make a game playable to be non-linear is that all the all the whether it's a quest or a map or a type of mission depending on how the game is designed um it'll be independent everything's just independent where it doesn't matter what order you do uh and, and, the, and the developer doesn't really have to account for it but when they take the time and detail to account for it and say we recognize the order that you arrived here at this mission or at this quest and we're going to give you something to kind of reward you whether it's additional dialogue or units or or whatever especially if a low percentage of people are ever going to see it i always really enjoy seeing that sort of uh that sort of detail in these types of games yeah i I really wonder to see I really wonder how far they're going to go with that if that's like like a very small early like showing of it. So I really hope they go, you know, all the way with it and see and like I want to see I want to see things in my playthrough that uh that like uh 
when they compare notes with someone, they'll bring something up, and I'll be like, "What? <laughs> that you never happened that? for me." Yeah, exactly. I want I want to have that experience, you know. Or like when they bring something up, and someone's gonna be like, "Wait, how do you do that?" You know. So that's I, I'm I'm excited. You know, I I really liked a lot of what the demo showed. Uh, it's only what but like two weeks away so almost there i'm 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 really really starving for this game i really really like i'm I'm like at this weird like crossroads with this demo because i want to play more of it but the the progress that you make on it can transfer over to the full game but i don't know if i'm gonna do the full game on consoles or on the pc version to support the west like you know obviously i'm gonna support the western release but like you know i don't know western, yet what, what the, the western release there is that officially officially the western release is only on pc though like josh said you can get the the southeast asian english on the consoles yeah so it's um and they're still waiting for like one more final trailer that has like more crazy shit in the game that they haven't shown off yet and they haven't dated that i'm just like bandai namco <laughs> i I thank you, but I want more still because it's so close to release. I want more. I need something to tide me over. I feel like everything I'm doing is like is like an excuse right now, just waiting for this game. A couple other small pieces of bit news uh, from this week. Here's one from an. Here's one that is an interesting comment from Square Enix's Takashi Tokita about the currently releasing Pixel Remaster series. Obviously, we're waiting on the official Pixel Remaster releases of Final Fantasies V and VI, uh, but we actually got a comment from Tokita saying that he would like to make, potentially, a Pixel Remaster of Final Fantasy IV The After Years, which is a game that I often forget ever existed. Uh, Adam, I think you're the one that's probably played the after years like to completion you shared a very scary screenshot in the discord chat the other day uh what do you think about would would you revisit the after years if it came to a pixel remaster probably would (laughs) but to be honest i don't put a whole lot of stake into this answer there was an interview about final fantasy 4 and one of the questions near the very end was like um, it was in Japanese, but it was like, hey, Final Fantasy IV has a sequel. Are you interested in doing that? And his answer was just sort of like, yeah, sure. That's not how it came across to me. <laughs> just like fantastic, uh, fantastic editorializing. <laughs> so that's how I read it. But, you know, just like he acknowledged it exists. And he's like, he in the answer, he does say, according to our translation by Kite, that he'd like to do either a Pixel Master or Pixel Remaster version or a 3D version like the DS version, which is sort of weird because it has a 3D version just like the DS version. Um, it's on PC. Apparently it's not on PC in the West, or in the, in Japan, it is on the West. So it's, like, I don't know if he even, if he, he's the producer, Tokita, like, forgot it even existed, but, um, sure. When's Final Fantasy V? Yeah, we have any news on that? I, for some reason, I thought it was nope. like already slated to be out based on the Steam leaks or whatever it was. No, well, the Steam database had like a late September release for some of those games. Right, that's what I was it was about. never it was never official. That's just what Steam database had like listed in that box, and obviously that came and went. So it wasn't ever official to begin with. So it's supposed to be this year sometime. 
Sure. We did get uh, our first gameplay. Did you have any final comment on that? Sorry. Uh, I don't know. Would you? Would we? Would we actually? Would you actually play a pixel remaster after years? Really? What about a the completionist there, is, in me? Would <laughs> isn't there, like, isn't there an interlude like, too? That's like even that more bite size. The interlude is like only like two hours. Ah, uh, okay. It's not very long. <laughs> Uh, that's a weird thing to say. It's like it's only two hours, but for a lot of people, it's like two hours is a lot of game time. We talked about the release date uh, last week of Final. It's not Final Fantasy. Long, wrong JRPG series. Dragon Quest X <laughs> offline, releasing in Japan in February on the twenty sixth. Uh, we did get a our first gameplay from it during a Japanese focused PlayStation Presents uh, stream, or I don't know if it was a stream or just an uploaded video. Um, so I think the only person here that might be interested in this would maybe be James, but then James said he would just play the the online game in Japanese and not the offline version. So yep. I, I want it in English, please. I, th- I think multiple of us want Dragon Quest Ten in English in please. some form, at least. The off would you would you be for the offline version with the chibi art style and all that? I I mean the, the hot Ogogo won't look quite as hot, but you know I'll take what I can get. <laughs> You sound so defeated over this. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, they should. Yeah, they shut off gameplay. It, you know, they they shut off some running around the field. You kind of like looking at it like from the overhead style chibi running around. It kind of reminds you of like um, the Shining Diamond, Brilliant Pearl, or what what not remake. Mm. It sort of reminds me of that uh, approach. Um, it, but like, it's like kind of. It feels like it feels like. Um, you know when they did like 3DS versions of Dragon Quest games that they had like that chibi art style? Yeah, oh, I was yeah, gonna yeah. say because Dragon Quest Eleven has a 3DS version. Yeah, yeah. The, um, it reminds you of that, but like for a home console, and then um, the the battles are Dragon Quest turn-based battles. You know, there's not much to really like glean from that. Instead of I, I don't, but I looked at that, I was like, "Yep, that's Dragon Quest. I, I want nothing more." <laughs> <laughs> We did get a announcement of another MiHoYo title. That's Honkai Impact Third, which is I know has shown up in a couple of the discussions when we've been talking about Genshin Impact about how this preceded it. Uh, it is coming to PC to Steam. It says in October. What was the date? Because we're already halfway through October, so I got to be careful about when that date is. Um, hey, just, it's, 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 there is no date. All right, I was wondering, like, yeah. am I missing this information? No, it doesn't yeah. exist. Uh, planned release date this month on Steam at some point. Yeah, so. they released a native PC version, I think, like early last year, like of like the very beginning of like last year, I want to say, or maybe late 2019. Uh, so there, there's a native PC version already that like I I tried out for like a like a few weeks, and I was like, this this isn't bad, like for like a free to play action game, like this is pretty good. Um, so like it just got coming to Steam, um, now. So th- it's a, it's like a weird like divide now because like the Epic Game Store. Has like Genshin Impact on it, and now Steam will have Honkai Impact Third. On I didn't realize. Like, Gen- I didn't realize. I thought Genshin Impact on PC was a s- completely standalone. I didn't realize it was. It, it is standalone. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is standalone, but you can also get it on Epic Game Store as well for whatever reason. So if you just want to have it in your Epic Game Store library and feel good about that, so that's that's cool. Sure. Another thing that is in the category of that's cool. Sure. Um, 
we did get an announcement that this is not a game that we've covered on our site, but it's been covered uh, under the RPG category on some other sites such as Gamatsu. Uh, a dungeon RPG, Labyrinth of Toho, Gensokyo, and the Heaven Piercing Tree, uh, released on Steam uh, back in August, but now it is also available in English as of this week. So I don't know anything about this game. I don't know if it's come up on Adam's radar when he scours for these news. Uh, by, by the I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. When I see okay. Toho, I just sort of, it goes in one ear and out the other. Like, oh, <laughs> I don't care. Well, Why? especially if it's a spin-off game, because that can be made by anybody. Uh, yeah. But out like, of yeah, all the games you cover, why, why, why do you look at this and just say, never mind? <laughs> just because there's so many. Just, they're, they're pretty much like, they're almost like fan games. They're official. They, uh, there is no such thing as an official or a fan game with Toho. Like anyone can make it. Uh, well, no, there like, are official. There is the one uh, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But but anything that's not those ones, it's like, well, yeah, it, it, it's it's yeah, they are made by anyone, so the quality can be all over the place. As so someone who has reviewed various Toho spinoffs, it's it's, yeah, it's, it's so scored very positive really on Steam. Um. <laughs> The, the when I, I just search this game, like the first thing that comes up is the TV tropes page for it. So I don't <laughs> why, they, why they're the authority on it. Like, like the think about Toho as like the Warhammer of Japan. Like there's a there's a main game to like Warhammer's like the tabletop official thing, but Toho and Toho has like the official shmups, uh, you know, made by Zun. So and then anything outside of those is all fair game, pretty much. And uh, that's where Toho and Warhammer are basically parallels. Um, uh, yeah, I, I only put this on here on the dock because I'll, uh, a few number of my friends were talking about this and how really cool it was. Uh, this this uh, game is basically um, like a one massive game of like Labyrinth of Toho 2 and its expansion plus this together. So it's like hundreds of hours of gameplay in this and like you have like a shitload of car- Toho characters with like a, a ton of abilities and go wild with it um just a lot a lot of gameplay and i think th- i don't know the exact lineage of like this english patch i think it was like one of those things where very 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 passionate Toho fans made uh, a fan patch fan english patch like i don't know how m- uh, how how much time ago but it's one of those passion projects because like Every single like item in this uh Labyrinth of Toho like game uh apparently is like a very obscure reference like in, in culture somewhere, you know, like yeah. this could be like a culture to like uh, or this like item could be like a reference to like episode 37 of like some 90s Japanese show and whatnot. And it could be like as crazy as that and like yeah. that and and the and the ones who crafted this patch apparently just like asked the developers like because like you can use our patch just do it like just if you want to include it officially we're totally cool with it i th- uh, you know i could be wrong but from what i heard you know talking with people here and there that like that's kind of how the lineage of this patch was and now this is officially integrated you know with everyone's permission essentially i'm just looking at the images of some of the map pages and they're doing my head in uh huh. Yeah, I hear it's. Cr- I hear this is crazy. Like, 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 uh, I glanced at this. I'm like, oh man, this is this is not a game for me. But I imagine you know, Toho fans and dungeon RPG fans who really want a lot of content in their game will, you know, th- this game will deliver on that front. 
And that covers it for news that was listed for this week. So uh, a couple other interesting things. We did get a number of those cool features up on the site uh, for some of our long-form articles, as well as, obviously, the Monster Hunter Rise uh, preview PC footage ahead of the um, ahead of the release next year. So some cool things up on the site in terms of actual announcements. A little bit slimmer, but we're going into a time of year where it's more about finishing out the games to try to get them all played before we go into game of the year deliberations and all that. So uh, hopefully you expect to see that sort of discussion kick up as we lead into that on the site side, we'll have to start formulating some of the logistics around that with our, our newer contributors, as well as the guys that have been here a while. Uh, you can read up all of those features up on our site at rpgsite.net. At the top of that uh, of our homepage, you can hit the button to head to our Discord channel, where you can talk about any of the releases that have come out either recently, such as Tales of the Rise, or uh, from earlier in the year that we don't want to leave hanging, such as the Switch release of Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, we're up and available on all the social media platforms: Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, as well as YouTube. We've actually got a we've actually got a new video up on YouTube. Thanks to James, so thank you for that. We will be back next week. Maybe we'll do a, a final wrap up on uh, maybe on Dungeon Encounters if we get uh, some more people get some more time to play it. Uh, maybe we'll get uh, Chow and George back to see what they've been up to recently, and we'll just play it by ear and see what ends up being the topic of the day for next week. But until you hear from us, then take care and stay safe. We will talk to you later. Bye.